thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you for joining us again on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And please make sure that you have, you know, liked and followed us on all of our social media uh, channels. So that is Dr. Ashley Bond on everything. I am the Period Whisperer on Facebook and Dr. Andrea.xo on Instagram. And, um, you know, also the Wellness Women Official, which we have started like posting again on, would you believe? <laughs> um, which also means that we've seen a whole bunch of messages from a long time ago from some some of you and we are so sorry but we are um definitely getting back to some of those and we are also loving your episode requests your health questions and everything so everyone please keep that coming um and please make sure you've liked and subscribed on um whatever podcast medium it is that you are tuning into um, and a big warm welcome to all our new listeners as well. I saw that uh, someone who messaged was like, I can't believe I just found you and um, there's so many to go back through. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, there's a few there. Just pick the ones that are interesting to you and uh, we'll keep on rolling with some <laughs> new content. Don't go too far back. <laughs> what are you talking about, Ash? They're, uh, they're all interesting, right? Uh, but that's the whole point of what we record. It's always like a pick and choose. I think there's so much cool stuff, but it's not everything for everyone. It's kind of, you know, we've got groups of women that we, we appeal to with each different episode like tonight's one right some people are just gonna be turned off by the title and they'll be like pegan peganism what's all this you know fashionable stuff so um yeah i I love that we're gonna sort of 
pack up a bit of the uh, the food stuff tonight, get back into our mojo of uh, what we talk about, diet, lifestyle and well-being. And also you're going to go through a little bit of uh, the latest research mm. too. So, ladies, if you're curious to hear a bit more about some of the reproductive medicine research that's just come out, um, Andrew's going to run through some of that on the back of our, our chat tonight about uh about our pagan, you know, pagan episode here. So mm. it's a lot going on tonight. We thought we might have a whole episode just on the pagan diet. And then I'm like, ah, the word diet is so ugh. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get a lot done tonight. Today, whichever, wherever we are in the world, it's always laughing when I'm always saying tonight. And it's like, oh, I always listen to the day. And it's really weird because you always say tonight. <laughs> I know. It is It is always night. And not just night for us. It's like Usually, you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock on a Thursday yeah. night when we're recording, um, which also means that sometimes it is not my most articulate, um, switched on moments. But you know, we we do our best, that's for sure. Um, so Ash, I might um just do the uh, endometriosis news update at the end. Do you think? I reckon keep our yep. ladies listening so that yeah. uh, we get the best of our dietary lifestyle guidance and then you hear the updates in research because uh, it's all interesting in my books. I'd, I'd happily fast forward to the end just to listen to your, your chat about the research, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know not everyone's as nerdy as we are. Yeah, that's for sure. So we wanted to do a bit of a review tonight on or today on the pegan diet and pegan is P-E-G-A-N diet. And this is a hybrid between the paleo and vegan diet that I think this this, this um, term was coined by Dr. Mark Hyman, who also wrote a book on the, um, you know, of the same name as well. And of all of the diet fads and trends, and you know, I think every week there's a new diet book coming out. This is one that sits really well with me, and I know that we certainly have debunked certain types of diets. Um, on the show before, or we've tried to um, take, you know, critical reviews of diets as well. Um, but I do really like the foundations of the pegan diet. Uh, Ash, what do you think? I'm all for it as well. And I think it's really interesting that we haven't spoken about this before, but I think you and I both do the same. We recommend something very much along those lines to our clients when it comes to healing, health, and, you know, anti-inflammatory uh, protocols and promoting, you know, the best intestinal and gut function as well and this is not a new thing too you know i think for anyone listening they think oh my god i haven't heard of pegan then don't be alone because most people probably haven't heard of pegan pegan or peganism i heard someone go yeah have you joined the peganism crew now like what i don't even know what you're talking about but um essentially you know it's something that uh, goes way back to probably about 10 years ago 2014 um and then it sort of hit some trending around 2017 through to 2020 um but you know like all things, it's so easy to get swept up in trending fad diets, um, whereas this one is is none of those things. So, ladies, if you think we're just going to rattle on about some trending fad diet, we're not going to today. We're going to go through uh, something that has really, you know, good principles and foundations. <laughs> we're sorry to laugh in the middle here. We've just paused because I uh, picked up the fact that I didn't have my microphone on properly and I apologise for the crappy start to the episode if it's uh, been a bit scratchy for you, but hopefully from here on in it's a bit smoother. Um, so anyway, we're not trending. You know, We're not uh, talking about some trendy diet that we want you to jump on board for the next few you know, weeks. I'm not sure you're like, we're not trending. I'm like, what do you mean? You and I are always trending, aren't we? <laughs> you're talking about the diet. <laughs> I'm talking about the diet. Um, <laughs> and, you know, because these are the sorts of things that I know 
and I've been there too. And and this is why we talk about these things from a, a humble, you know, personal experience. A lot of the times is there's so many times I've looked for quick fixes. I've looked for the the fad diet to strip six kilos, to you know, to try and drop some weight for something, to try and you know get there quickly. But um, like all good things. It takes time, it takes consistency, mm-hmm. and it takes a really good set of principles upon which, you know, a whole wholesome and holistic diet can be built upon. And I really like the vegan diet like you do because it brings together the best of all the things that we talk about, which is whole foods, nutrition, you know, unprocessed, good quality fats, um, and, of course, a, a diet high in seasonal fruits and vegetables and I just think you know that just makes so much sense and Mm. you could call it anything you could almost call it like an ancestral diet because in some ways it's just that idea of just like eat like they used to in the old days before this whole industrial food revolution occurred Um, so it's kind of not too fashionable it's actually a very ugly diet when you think about it because it's boring it's not very exciting it's not very trendy it's just very very straightforward and I think that's what we kind of need to get back to you know strip back to basics and get back into really, you know, sensible, wholesome diets that shouldn't be trendy, that shouldn't require um, 10,000 ingredients and a a thousand hours of preparation. Like, you know how some things you just go, oh, my God, I'll never have time to do all those things. Um, It should be practical. And I like that. Um, uh, and look, the whole title that it's given pagan it sounds pretty funny. Um, it almost reminds me of pagan or something along those lines, Ash. But um, it, it's not even really that we need to put a name on a diet like this, but just sometimes for simplicity, it does make it easier when we're referring to things like this. Um, and I think it takes the best parts of the diet template of something like paleo, but puts more emphasis on the clean, sustainable products um, because that is a really important component of this diet. We'll we'll sort of unpack that a little bit further as well so you can understand what that means. Um, So it takes, you know, the good good parts of paleo without feeling like it's super restrictive, I guess, Um, because – in especially when that whole paleo movement started, I think that people went down the rabbit hole of too much emphasis on just animal protein. They're <laughs> just all eating bacon, yeah, and bacon wrapped bacon, and, exactly. and bacon wrapped, you know, beef rolls and yeah. stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is, and then just eating literally like whole butter boxes and stuff. I'm yeah. just like, um, that's really insane i can't imagine that much dietary fat can be that good for you so you're absolutely right it was really trendy for almost like that extreme other direction and it didn't i don't think it had enough focus or emphasis on the the vegetable content Mm. you know there was so rich you know we didn't want any carbohydrates we don't want any fructose um and yet you know Speaking of our ancestors, guess what? They were hunter-gatherers. They did go and find seasonal fruits. They did go find, uh, you know, seasonal berries and things like that. So, no, I I, I agree with you. I think that it's interesting how what seems like almost opposites because paleo was founded on that really heavy meat principle and then you've got veganism, which is, you know, completely the opposite, and yet there's so much in similar. You know, there's so much similarity there. There's a lot of crossover in the philosophy, which is, to eat well, to tread lightly on the planet, um, to be sustainable, um, not just ourselves but our community and, and our greater um, greater environment as well. So, yeah, 
I like I like the fact that it's um, something we can do. It's so achievable, mm. so simple. Uh, it's almost too simple that people don't like it. Like I've I've spent, spoke to a couple of clients about this um, this in the last week, and we we're talking we might be doing this in the future. I was like, oh, have you heard of vegan? And I'm like, uh, I was like, oh, it's like vegan cross with paleo. I'm like, what does that look like? Um, and it was almost like boring. They're like, oh, so you don't have to do it. I'm like, well, no, it just sounds pretty clean, doesn't it? And I'm a bit disappointed because it's like, oh, but. You know, I just wanted a quick fix. Like, isn't there a shake involved? Or <laughs> yeah, oh, like, I know. I was like, that shows you how how well drilled we are to believe that um, we need to substitute our diet and lifestyle with alternatives, things that come out of cans and tins and powders to make it better. Well, I think that especially with women, and I could be completely generalizing here, that most of the time when you're adopting a diet or making dietary changes, a lot of the motivation for that is something along the lines of weight loss, right? And I'm I'm certain yeah. that there are other motivating factors as well, like improved health and energy and anti-inflammatory, you know, principles and certain specific health promotion. But also a lot of the time it is for the intention of, you know, aesthetic reasons or weight loss. Um, and mm-hmm. at the moment, because there's so many, um, uh, I guess, shortcuts to weight loss right now, especially with the big like Ozempic movement, why do people want to focus on diet when they can just take, you know, a drug or injectable that's going to give them that weight loss, even mm. though it's not necessarily in a safe way, a sustainable way, something that's healthy, even though people, especially on something like the Ozempic, seem to lose mass but get fatter, like their body fat percentage increases, they lose that lean muscle mass. Mm. But it is essentially like that quick fix. So why would you focus on a good, healthy, sustainable, really well-rounded diet when there are those sort of things in mind? And the reasons for doing this is because those sort of principles are not going to correct things like hormonal imbalances. It's not going to keep you naturally metabolically balanced. Um, It's not going to optimize your gut function and support your microbiome health. It's not going to keep your blood sugar level balanced and your insulin levels in check. And it's not going to be as promoting for your cardiovascular system as well. And all of those factors definitely you know, you can get all of those benefits from a dietary template like this and not to mention it also really lowers inflammatory markers as well. Um, And the reason being is that uh, the diet or this eating sort of principle relies heavily on having, um, you know, lots of plants. (laughs) Uh, That's that's sort of, you know, the main part of the template, hence the pegan, so the paleo-vegan, using grass-fed meat, so really well um, ethically sourced and raised clean protein, free-range poultry, wild-caught fish, so not opting for, you know, things like farm salmon um, and, you know, that free-range poultry also translates into things like pasture-raised eggs as well, seasonal fruit, lots of vegetables, but um, keeping to more of the cruciferous, the leafy greens, minimizing the starchy vegetables, um, minimal grains, minimal legumes, nuts and seeds and healthy fats and, you know, plenty of herbs and spices. So sounds good to me. <laughs> it sounds it sounds fairly simplistic and some yeah. people may find that really restrictive especially if they're starting to get on this bandwagon. Um Ash, I know that you and I, you know, just eat this way so naturally and so easily all, you know, all the time, but the diet 
emphasizes the avoidance of foods that are um, inflammation promoting, um, but also things that are not necessarily like ethical as well. So the avoidance of conventionally raised farm meat, poultry, seafood, and eggs, um, avoiding dairy products, most grains, especially gluten-containing grains, um, avoiding some legumes, including peanuts, any of the refined oils, um, sugar, and obviously anything that's got those refined sweeteners or sugar-sweetened products in it, and the processed foods. So this includes mm. things like, you know, your chips, crackers, um, even like muesli or granola bars, pretzels, um, fast foods, <laughs> uh, the, the things that are not necessarily a healthful um, diet making um, foods. Well, some of them sounds hard, doesn't it? Because they're often things that you want uh, on the run. You know, we've got such a fast-paced lifestyle that uh, when we start talking diet, it becomes really problematic for a lot of people because we're so used to you know, maybe throwing a muesli bar in the handbag on the way to work just so you've got something to snack on. So, yes, definitely, uh, we definitely get it that it's not, it doesn't always seem straightforward. But I think when you see the crossovers, when you look at the tried and tested, things like the Mediterranean diet still have stand up against the test of time because they're phenomenal, you know, promoting those uh, quality fats, quality oils. This is a very similar similar approach when you look at that. When you think about, you know, they're looking at seasonal, sun-ripened, you know, fruits and vegetables and um, you think of all those good foods that uh, Mediterranean diet involves it's interesting to see how similar they all become when you think about the quality. And this is often very much reflected in, um, if you haven't heard of it, you know, concepts around the blue zones. Mm. These are the sorts of food styles, eating styles that are consistent and consistently shown in cultures or areas of the world um, which have populations, a high population of centenarians. So um, blue zones are areas where they have a lot of people living um, well and healthy beyond the age of 80, 90, 100 years of age. And they ask that question, question like why they're why those people what do they do differently and they consistently identify a high quality diet like this exact diet we've just described and i think you know those tried and tested foundational principles don't change no matter where you are on this planet mm. um i always look at those references to the sad diet which is the standard american diet but to be really honest with you we really do have the exact same diet in australia we really do have the you know standard mm. australian diet which is completely you know filled with processed foods and uh, fast foods possibly not as much as America in some ways, but I would suggest that our food serving size has increased over time. Yeah. Uh, the quality of uh, the produce has decreased over time. So we are on the same trend. So when you see the stats, you know, they always refer to, refer to the standard American diet, but um, a lot of people are, oh, well, that's in America. Of course it's in America. But I think, you know, we need to turn the mirror on ourselves and say, hang on, <laughs> we're, we're trending the exact same way. We've got uh, some of the, the highest population of, uh, you know, obese children on the planet uh, coupled with the UK and, and America. I don't think that's a, uh, a statistic we want to be a part of, to be honest. So yeah. I see this as an opportunity for intergenerational change as well, you know, how we eat, how we prepare our bodies for conception, um, how we you know bring in the next generation, how we feed our children. We have a lot of principles in our house that cross over. I still do have some processed foods with the kids, you know, snack foods out of packets that I uh, probably could do better with. But generally speaking, that's the sort of the, the happy medium I found when um, – my kids go to you know, to group 
events where they've got a snack box and they open the snack box and I'd still say that it's probably uh, nine times out of ten better than anyone else in that group and I think that's something not only to be proud of as parents you know when you're working hard to make your children's you know lunch boxes healthy and full uh, in a way that's going to provide them with you're mentioning that metabolic factors and, mm-hmm. and the hormonal factors, but I also look at it as brain power. You know, we're, yeah. we're helping harness our opportunity for, for brain power when we eat this way. Um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that it's high in quality fats, which builds those, you know, healthy neuronal sheaths in the brain, but also low in inflammatory uh, response, which will sustain better brain function. The inflamed brain, I think there's even books these days written, you know, the brain on fire because of this idea that we're just so unhealthy that even our nervous system, our brain is literally, you know, catching on fire um, in its inflammatory responses, which is a big rise and rise of neurocognitive conditions. And it's, um, you've got to ask the question of why Um, diet plays a big role. And Ash, what's that um, saying? Like the leaky brain, so leaky gut, leaky brain. It's all all same, mm. same. So um, absolutely. And look, while I couldn't necessarily find specific um, peer reviewed studies or anything like that that supports this particular, you know, dietary choice, it it's based or backed more by sort of health philosophy rather than that. And um, if you want to think of what a sample day might look like um, using that sort of pegan type template, it might be, brekkie might be like scrambled eggs with veggies or sautéed veggies. It could be um, lunch might be some chicken with some broccoli and cauliflower rice um, and maybe some avocado. Uh, You might have cow chips, almonds, and maybe some fruit for snacks. And it might be a red lentil curry for dinner, for example. Um, And, you know, all sorts of simple different variations on that. But that's sort of what a day might look like, um, which might sound different but is actually pretty easy to do if you are prepared. Um, So that is sort of I guess our bit of uh, our critique or take on the pegan diet and I think overwhelmingly both Ash and I agree that um, this is probably one of our favourite essentially like philosophical ways of eating in terms of the things you include, exclude, and the type of um, choices that you're making in terms of um, sort of ethical and sustainable produce as well. Love it. And there's always room for fun. So we talk about uh, food. It's meant to be food for fun, food for community. So we, I think you're you're the same as me. We tend to have 90% high quality and there's that little room for bit of chocolate. Oh my God, like all the loco love that uh, we've got so much of at the practice at the moment. Uh I can't wait to get some of that. If you haven't heard of loco love, then you're missing out. Everyone who's listening, you've got to go start Googling. I feel like a a chocolate dealer, like literally. (laughs) You are, are, a cacao dealer for sure. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. So Um, good. Well, on that note, let's switch into women's health and start talking about uh, your latest findings on endometriosis and the hospitalization. Ah, hospitalization rates in Australia because it was quite shocking when I saw that article come out this week. Yeah, there's actually been quite um, a spotlight uh, that's focused on endometriosis this week that's been on most news channels. Um, So, ladies, if you've been, you know, keeping your ear to the ground on those sorts of things, you would have seen um, some articles come out, uh, particularly on ABC News. And what um, has happened is there's been a review from the Australian Institute of Health and Wellness 
health and welfare that reviews, you know, statistics and and sort of looks closer at these sorts of things. And essentially it's showing that our initial um, stats on the prevalence of endometriosis. So initially um, for a long time, we were saying one in 10 women have endometriosis. I've always thought it was higher than that because um, it takes on average about seven years for accurate diagnosis of endometriosis. And because um, it still requires, which I think is absolutely ridiculous, it still requires laparoscopic surgery um, with, uh, you know, visualization under a general anesthetic and using this sur- surgical procedure to visualize the endometrial endometriosis tissue and then take histological samples of it to confirm that it is that for them to say, yes, you have endometriosis. Um, so women need surgery for a diagnosis of this, which is just crazy because in this day and age, our diagnostic ultrasound procedures are so accurate um, in most cases as are you know just symptom pictures alone that I really think that it can be diagnosed just with those two things but that's just my opinion so what this review showed was that the prevalence of endometriosis is absolutely increasing at a rapid rate um, and it's increasing in the particularly in the age groups of the 44 to 49 year old women um, so one in seven of those women now have endometriosis um, and ash were you saying that you saw some stats that there's it's in um, younger women there's a 50 percent increased um, risk of endometriosis now that we're seeing so instead of it being one in ten it's one in five yeah, and um, the hospitalisation rates have doubled in a decade. So Sorry, if, the hospitalisation rates. Yeah. That's what had doubled um, over yeah, in that which decade. which just means, you know, obviously symptomatic females. Like that's horrific to think that there's such significant symptoms that they feel the need to uh, enter a hospital in order to get help, support or treatment. Mm, yeah, and that really worries me. And, of course, the review still stated that <clears> – <throat> The best case scenario for endometriosis is to have a laparoscopic procedure. However, the recurrence rate of endo after that is really high. Um, within um, five years, it's up to a 70% recurrence rate. And I normally see in my patients that they'll get maybe a good two years out of a laparoscopic procedure if they do get relief from that. And then you've also got to consider the other things that happen, you know, during a surgical procedure, which includes, you know, additional scar tissue and trauma and everything else along the way, plus going under a general anesthetic, even though they call it a minimally invasive procedure is still a big deal. Yeah, well, they said the recurrence of symptoms occurs in up to half of patients within five years after surgery. So it's still not a great prognosis, is it? We really have to be uh, considering the approach diagnosis treatment in such a different light um, because clearly surgical intervention is not the pathway and if those women are having multiple surgeries let's say every five years they're requiring some sort of surgery you know picked up in their 20s by the time they're wanting to be childbearing um, there's so much surgical you know harm adhesion into that intra-abdominal cavity that there's you know really an increased risk of infertility there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It also showed that there was quite a marked increased um, uh, just 
prevalence in younger women as well. Um, and so we're seeing so much endometriosis at the moment so that we really need to stop and review why is this happening? Why are we seeing so much more of it now than what we would um, were say in the 70s and 80s, for example? Um, you know, what is going on that's creating this? And <clears throat> I don't buy that we're just, we have better diagnostic methods now. Um, that is just simply cannot be true because even, um, Ash, I'm sure that you were the same when we were at school, we did not have such high rates of women, um, or girls missing school or having to take really heavy medication and contraceptives and all sorts of things just to manage their period pain. It was just not nearly as, um, relevant then as what it is now mm, um, a shift in a generation it's fascinating yeah. to see uh, what's happened not in a good fascinating way <laughs> you know it's, yeah. some things are curious and you go oh wow that's interesting and this is not my kind of interesting this is like okay this should be crisis mode we should be yeah. looking at this in a different way asking bigger and better questions and I, look i know there's incredible experts out there doing that i still think there's just this focus on the idea that you need to do something for it you know the idea of um surgical exploring all the the things I keep reading in regards to the endometriosis treatment it always sort of steers the same path you know oh, mm. let's, they're doing a Botox trial and they're doing yeah. it's always this sort of active active action reaction as opposed to saying why is this more prevalent exactly and I, I just don't see enough of that um, that research reflected in the volume of information out there for women to access to say, well, but what can I do to reduce this, to prevent this, mm. to reverse this? Yeah, that there's not that conversation happening. We're not seeing a lot of conversations about autoimmune, uh, you know, dysfunction and how that may be a part of the puzzle. Uh, so I love that you're always on the case because you come at it from a completely different angle, which must be quite confronting for some women who see you thinking, huh, how come I haven't been told this before? So ladies, if you, it is something you're struggling with and you, you want to know, I was about to say before when you were talking about um, diagnosis and how, I'd say 99% of the women that I've sent to you at some point over the years, you've been able to accurately diagnose without any of the other any other invasive process done it's like oh, thanks, and then you're seeing active response you're seeing mm. positive improvements um progressively over time so for me there's no harm in trying a you know non-pharmacological non-surgical approach if there's possibility for positive change yeah yeah absolutely and um also using the least invasive um, safest options first, I think should always be a priority. Um, Ash, I think that that would be a really good, um, additional topic that we should cover is like, you know, this increased, increased rates of, of endometriosis and our theories as to why that's happening. Um, so I'm going to add that to our, our recording list. Um, yeah, let's do it. But you know what? The funny thing is, I'm sure the same principle would apply that when you're working with these men that we've just talked about paganism, I'm pretty sure that the pagan diet would be quite a kind of high up there in recommendations of. Absolutely. How to help the body heal. Yeah. And this is the dietary template that we use for most things, to be honest. Um, we so just tweak it for individual variations for people, you know, with their yeah. each of us have unique physiological requirements and mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely easy ways to tweak that. So 
have fun looking into vegan vegan diet. Put yourself out a little list of you know the do's and don'ts and the the options involved with it because it is fun to sort of get a refresh of thinking. You know, what do I need to have more of? And actually, it's time to you know cut back on some of that stuff because I don't know about you guys listening, but I know that I definitely have bad habits creep in. Um, things oh, that just yeah, sort of slip slip the wayside. The other day, um, Oliver was uh, asking, "Oh, you know, in a term, can I get some corn chips?" I was like, "Oh." yeah not so bad you know like it's just a one-off doesn't be no big deal and then he wanted um some ones that were like lime and chili and I thought oh yeah no big deal this is you know typical busy mum stuff and I didn't turn the packet over we got home and I just thought you know it's paprika and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. I didn't really think twice because this brand is usually very clean flipped them over and I was just like what Six two one six three five. Like there was, there was so many things in there. So that's MSG for anyone who who doesn't know those numbers. Um, and a bunch of stuff, yeast extract, and all these things. I'm like, uh, and I, poor Ollie's like eating them. I'm like, I pulled the bowl out from under his mouth, literally. I'm like, I'm so sorry, darling. We're not eating those. He's just like, but I'm like, honey, look at this packet. And we turned it over and we went through it together. So why do they even sell this stuff? Oh, he's so precious. Yeah. Honest way of saying like, I I like why we choose what we choose. So it's not fair that they sell this other stuff. I'm like, damn straight. It's not fair. Is it like, we just want to have something really nice. And the idea of lime and chili corn chips does sound really good. Why does it have to have all that other stuff? So um, just goes to show it doesn't matter how well educated you are, how, you know, much you, you think you know, you suddenly you just get caught out. So it was a great opportunity to refresh my approach, which is always read the packets. I just get um, the same things all the time, so I don't usually need to read the packets. Mm. But then again, occasionally I get caught out. Yeah. I don't know that a certain brand of things has been bought by a different company and suddenly there's a different formulation uh, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, don't ever think you're going to get to one point in your diet and life. There's no perfect pathway. You're going to have slips, strips, and falls along the way, just like I still do. Um, but the key is to then refresh that knowledge and that information and be like, okay, cool. What's one more good thing I can add in this week? And that's that's my general philosophy and mantra is we can try and cut out all the bad stuff, but what if we just add in the good stuff? So I think a vegan, so you know, the paleo vegan concept is really a great approach to say, what good stuff can we add in this week? Yeah, I love that. Awesome. All right. So, ladies, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.